0: to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. Hello, hello,
1: hello. Good morning, everyone. I am very excited to share with you a gentleman named Brent Scarpo, who is a Hollywood casting director for Shawshank Redemption, among many others. But we're going to talk a little bit about Shawshank today, but also how I uh, met Brent was regarding the loss of his mother. He lost his mother when he was only 34 years old and I'm going to have him share with you how that affected him and then he has some wonderful things to share with you about Shawshank to help us through this time in history and so for those of you who don't know me I'm Danielle Bernach from daniellebernach.com love yourself from survive to thrive that lady on the internet who loves you and so with no further ado I'm
0: going to bring Brent in here so that you can meet him. There he comes. Hello, Brent. Thank you so much for joining me
1: today. This is, I'm so excited to be talking about Shawshank and for you to help people who may be caring for sick loved ones now. I mean, with COVID and other things people go through, I just thank you for being with me today
2: my pleasure what a joy what a pleasure i i was up late last night listening to like three or four of your podcasts last night so i if i look a little tired that's cuz i was i was doing my research and uh, listening to all the wisdom that you uh, that you share on your show
1: oh thank you thank you well you lost your mom when you were only 34 That's that's pretty young and yes. your mom fought for 2 years she fought lung cancer and i remember you sharing with me how you had to come to terms with it wasn't your job to save your mom, but it was your job to love her. How did you come to that and what did that exactly look like? What can you share with, with our audience to help them if they're caring for a loved one going through something really hard like that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think I got to the end part until after my mother passed away. I think as caregivers, and I'm the oldest of three children, so I think for those of you in the audience that I identify as being the oldest, we're the movers, the shakers, the leaders. And uh, you know, my mom was a single mom that raised three kids by herself. Um, I had literally woke up at three o'clock in the morning, um, and I had this, I'm an intuitive life coach, and I had this feeling that my mother had cancer. And so the next morning I called her and I said, "What's the last time you've had a physical? And she said, five years ago. I said, mom, you have to take care of yourself, you know? And, you know, women especially don't necessarily, they're the nurturers. And so they take care of everybody else. And then if there's time in the end, then they take care of themselves. So we did the doctor's appointment. Unfortunately, we found the lung cancer. So I, you know, moved her in with me. I spent two and a half years. And, you know, what I was trying to do for her or in my mind was to, do everything that I felt I would fall short that she did for us as children. Right. Mm -hmm. She was the nurturer. She's the mother. She's the one that sacrificed. She's the one that, you know, always let go. So, you know, for two and a half years and being the oldest child, it's like, yep, we're going to do this. Look, I'm a speaker. I do transformational speaking. We're going to do this positive, you know, reinforcement, all this. And, you know, there is that whole concept in, whatever your particular higher power is i don't care if it's buddha mother nature god or whatever but you know there's my plan you know and then you got to meet halfway with god and so we had two and a half years and uh, unfortunately her lung cancer metastasized to her brain and then she on January, let's see January thirteenth of nineteen ninety seven. She turned fifty nine. January twentieth was my birthday, and then January twenty sixth is when she passed. So, <laughs> yeah. And if you don't know this, I mean, useless information. But fifty percent of all people in the world die within thirty days of their birthday. That is uh, just
1: bizarre. <laughs> I know it's amazing, and,
2: and people are going. People are going to be on the podcast right now. going, oh my gosh, I know this person. This person. So you know, it was a. You know when you're when you're a primary caregiver, and for all you caregivers, I have just the utmost respect for you because you're trying to balance and put into harmony your life, your family, the person that you love, your work. It's it, you know you're running on adrenaline, and uh, when my mother finally passed away, all that adrenaline just this subsided, and uh, I just remember I said to myself when I got back because we. Um, we buried her in Pennsylvania where she was raised. And then we were living at the California where she, where she died. And when I got back to California, I said, okay, I I have to, I have to take care of myself. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it because she was my best friend. And you know, we were, we were, we were tight. And um, I chose to go to grief therapy uh, twice a week um, in a group setting. And then once a week in a one-on-one setting. And, you know, I come to realize and struggled with the idea that I failed. You know, I, 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 it was so much pain, I think as a man, because men grieve differently than women, you know, men usually do it privately. They're the ones to go back to work right away. And, and, and wives and girlfriends and mothers go, well, how can you do that? Well, we have to be busy in order to process our grief. And so, you know, I was, you know, trying to be busy and just got to the point that in my therapy that I realized that, you know, my job was to save her i failed at that job and it probably wasn't for a good year after she passed wow. away yeah because but well, that's the grieving process right yeah right yeah. we know the we know those seven steps you know anger uh it's try- not
1: linear it's uh, not linear and it's not you can i wish it i yeah. wish
2: so well said right yeah you can go from 1 to 7 back to 3 go to 2 then you go to 5 and <laughs> oh hey it's just you know <laughs> uh, it's like but um it was about a year of going through the grieving process. And, and I just had that moment. And I remember my my grief therapist, she said, well, what was your job as a caregiver? And I said, well, I was to a saver. And she's like, really? And then when she said that, for some reason, it just, you know, after a year of working on yourself, which I highly recommend that caregivers do uh, yes. while they're doing, yeah. Um, I realized it wasn't, you know, my job was to love her, mm-hmm. right? And I realized that was, insanely successful at that you know Amen. I mean it was it was <laughs> it was like a a burden off my shoulder because I'm like oh that was my job right my job was to be there and 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 look there were people you know the the, the I think the the biggest I just spoke to somebody about this yesterday and She's in the same situation that I'm in. She's caregiving her mom, who's got three different kinds of cancer. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we were saying, (laughs) you know, our job is to show up as best as we we possibly can. And um, she said to me, she's like, you know what the most interesting part of this journey is? I said, what's that? The people I thought I could depend on are nowhere to be found. Meanwhile, there's complete (laughs) strangers that are knocking on the door saying, is there anything we can do where your neighbor three doors down, we heard your mom is sick. And so, you know, this thing, you know, when we know we're making this transition, death and dying, this is not something we talk about on a regular basis, though, I think we should. And I know we're going to talk about it. But I think it's something that, well, look, we all have to address it at one point in time. And I think if you're more planned for it, if you to have this dialogue and um, with family members and loved ones and such, you're, you're a little bit more prepared.
1: Right. I, I learned within the last year that there is such a thing as a death doula. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> I hadn't
1: known that. I was listening to a podcast. A gentleman was um, interviewing someone who has a book coming out or just did come out. I think it's coming out this month or maybe it did last month. And it was about, um, oh what was it called? Something about es- estimated time of departure. And And it was about it was talking about preparing for for death and talking about it because he did that with his parents. And uh, that's how I learned that there's such a thing as a death doula. And it is you're right. It's hard to talk about. I remember when my mom had cancer and she had talked about things before that because my dad died suddenly when I was a child. And, you know, didn't have anything prepared, everything had to go through probate, it was a horrendous mess. And then my brother died suddenly also, and he didn't also. have anything prepared. And that all had to go through probate. So my mom was like, nothing's going through probate.
0: <laughs>
2: her <laughs> mantra, her newest mantra, it's on the wall, nothing will go through probate.
1: So, so, so she wanted to be much more prepared. And, and we, we talked about things, but not to the extent as like this gentleman was talking about, like, how do you see that that looks and stuff? And I'm like, oh, that's just really strange questions to ask yourself. It's like, those are hard to think about because we don't like to think about our mortality, but I, the line is true. Nobody gets out of here alive.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. There was a book and I, I cannot remember the authors to save my life. It was years ago. Oh, you may know it. Um, but it was a, it was a couple and, um, I might have read it after my mom passed away, but the book was written. And I can't remember this, but all I remember is that they woke up and they decided to write this book. And the idea is that they're going to write this book. And that one year from the day they started writing the book, they would be dead. And how would their life be different? And it's just fabulous. I I, wow. I can yeah, you know, <sighs> um, so, you know think of it in that, I mean, it was a great, I, I, unfortunately, I can't remember the book. I'm sure if you Google it, you, the, the, the theme, and stuff, <laughs> it was like, Nope, today, one year from today, we'll be dead. And so throughout the entire book, you know, at one month, six months, anxiety, what's going on? What didn't I get done? What do I need to do? And all the things you have to do in the process and things you don't think about. And, uh, you know, the appreciation that you didn't have for, for living. And it was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. So you're forcing wow. yourself into those decisions.
1: Wow. Yeah, well, that's a great segue into your mom was only 59 when yeah. she passed. Yeah. And uh, you shared a little bit with me about that because she died in your arms, I think you told me. And yeah. how did that affect you when you know you were only 34, she was only 59. And uh, I mean, my dad was only 55 when he died. And my mom was only 66 when she died. And that's like, ugh. so how did that affect you? And you, yeah, you told absolutely. me a little
2: bit. You know, it's so interesting. The grass is always greener, right? Because then I, I'm thinking about here we are in the middle of COVID. You know, we just reached over 700,000 people in the United States that passed away. They have those phenomenal white flags at the Washington National Mall that represents each one of them. And, you know, I say 59, and then I know, I know, you know, I know seven, eight, nine-year-olds that lost their parents at 30s and 40s from COVID, you know? So in, in the end, I think it's all relative, Um it, well, that's what it is. It's relative to us. We're the ones going that's exactly through the graveyard. That's exactly right. <laughs> well said. Yes, is exactly my point. It's like, you know, I, uh, uh, I remember, I'll never forget this to your point. You know, you just have to, uh, I don't know, I prepared for it. You know, you brought up a really interesting point. I had a really good friend that lost um, a friend the Twin Towers on 9-11. And, you know, there, there are really only two kinds of death right? There's the one that we know about. They have cancer, they've got a disease, right? And we can prepare for it, go to the hospital. And there's the sudden, the car accident, or they have the heart attack and whatever. And who knows why one is picked over the other. Um, I, I, if I had to choose, I think I would much rather have the way that it is that my mother died, because I was mentally and physically and psychologically and spiritually able just to kind of grasp my heart and my head around what this process was going to be. Right. And so you know, I think because we had two and a half years, because we're spiritually based, because my mother and I talked about death and dying all the time. I mean, all the time. That's why the Red Balloon, the the Today Show episode, why, you know, I won that contest. So I think because we talked about it and there wasn't a lot of mystery about it or, I mean, there's mystery about it, but we weren't really afraid of it. And we would talk about it and we'd be at breakfast. And I think just to having the conversation versus all of a sudden getting the call and this particular person had a heart attack or they have cancer or that you're in the middle of the process, but you don't do anything about it. You know, I Mm -hmm. had a really good friend of mine and her, uh, she unfortunately uh, had, uh, someone that she loved that committed suicide. And, you know, there's, various people that are still in denial of the fact that it happened, you know, and just don't want to deal with it. And so I think, you know, to your point, just being able to talk about it while you're alive, you know, I know we're going to talk about Shawshank and one of my favorite saying is get busy living or get busy dying. You have to do both. You have Mm -hmm. to do both, right? You uh, uh, clearly we want to live as much as we possibly can, but the dying process is part of living, And you need to prepare for that and understand it. And I think, you know, I think the people who do prepare for it, that being dying, live better lives.
1: Mm -hmm. Have a living intentional life. Like my book, Because You Matter, the subtitle is how to take ownership of your life so you can really live. And I'm a person of faith. I believe in God and Jesus, but not everybody does. And one of the things I have in that book is for people to own their faith. Right. to own their faith. I mean, of course, because, you know, what I believe, what you believe, we want everyone to believe what we believe and that's the nature of belief.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah.
1: but for someone to own intentionally, like you said, with this, you know, you wrap your head around it and what am I going to commit my ownership of? What am I going to believe? What, what am I going to do with this? And being intentional with it. And like you're talking about dealing with dying is being intentional. What, what do I believe? What do I think? What am I going to do with my life?
2: Yeah, versus all of a sudden it happens and then you have to go into that vault of those questions and try to figure out for yourself something that you've never even addressed before. And that can be, that to me is what brings on trauma. It's the lack of that preparation that brings on trauma. You know, look, there are many things that happen in our lives that are traumatic. But I often say to my life coaching clients, in fact, I say it all the time. I always say, it's not about the problem. It's never about the problem. It's about your relationship to it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: right it's a bunch of relationship to it. it i always say you know when they talk about well, this and that and this and that i'm like well, create your own reality right to your point take ownership create yeah. your own reality if you don't like the reality you're in then just switch it up right <laughs> make different choices move get out of the relationship have it whatever mm-hmm. you, but so many people you know again don't take ownership because when you take ownership then you take responsibility you know, mm-hmm. and you take responsibility, then you have to be the bearer of the consequences of the choices that you made.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: my book, I really go to great lengths to, to explain the difference between responsibility and ownership, because they're, yep. they're two different things. And when you take ownership, you're right, then you will take responsibility in the proper light. So
2: right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. look, when you when you when you buy when you buy a house, you're now the owner, yeah, the responsibility is paying the bills. Yeah. <laughs> you
1: know, well, you take care of it. That's up to yeah, you. you. That's exactly take right. Care of you don't it. have. Will to... you be responsible that's for exactly it? That's exactly right. That's exactly
2: <laughs> right. It's a great analogy for every aspect of life. Yes.
1: Right. Right. And you're right. The trauma is not the problem. Trauma is not the incident. Trauma is the wound that happens inside of a person. Like with a child, they can't. They don't have the control that an adult does. They can't just make their situation different kind of no, they, thing. They, they adult, us. You can, you know, and I call that my superpower. We have the ability to choose how to respond and we need right. to own that because that's one thing we can. We always have Victor Franco called it man's last freedom. It's yeah. the ability to choose how to respond. It's like. And if we build resilience in ourselves, then we will be able to handle more things that might be traumatic to someone else because trauma is personal. It's the, how your relationship with it, how you said that.
2: Well, and to your point, I just did this, I just did this webinar a couple of days ago. I I picked up on a word that you shared. Yeah. So you, what do you control yourself? That's it. And whether you choose to respond or whether you choose to react. Mm -hmm. And I would say when we react, that's when we feed trauma. When we Mm -hmm. respond, that's when we have the ability to be able to understand what's going on in our present day and our life so that we can get through this better than if we were to react to it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have to build that into ourselves. I love this quote by a a gentleman I've heard before. He said, the only person we can control is ourselves. And that's on a good day.
2: That's on a very good day. (laughs) So very. Because
1: sometimes we lack controlling ourselves also. And yeah. we find ourselves in that. So if we work on it, we get better at it.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I mean, we could spend another whole show on just control. It's like, can we really control ourselves? Like, what is that really all about? Right? On a good
1: day. Yeah, on a good
2: day. <laughs> on a, yeah, I, I love the fact that I'm so out of control. It's not even funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so you mentioned the one of your... Um, You have 10 life coaching lessons from Shawshank. Um, How can those help people now? I mean, that's with with Shawshank. How does that affect people now in this time with COVID and all the things that have happened in our world? How can those... 10
0: Things Help
2: People. Sure. So uh, I was one of the casting directors of the the movie, The Shawshank Redemption. Everybody's probably freaking out right now on the podcast. Um, (laughs) It was one of the best summers of my life. Uh, We shot that in 93, came out in 94. We were nominated for seven Oscars. Um, It was one of the first times that I was behind the camera instead of in front of. I was a young actor um, for a very long time. That's why I moved from Pennsylvania to California. And then in the last, you know, my two biggest passions in life really are the entertainment industry and. Education, you know. So in this last two years, I really started looking at those, you know, entities of mine, and and I've been merging them together. And you know, Shawshank Redemption is on TV like a hundred times a day. I mean, it is one of the top ten films that the American Film Institute says you have to see. So I just thought, wow, there's so many amazing lessons, and I have all these behind the scenes, you know. stories and experiences so you know recently I sat down I watched the whole thing and I went through it and found these lessons so you know especially now given that everything is in pure chaos you know look to your point and that's I love we're having an aha moment because this isn't even one of the lessons but it just came to me you know the character of Andy Dufresne played by mm-hmm. Tim Robbins I mean you know he is unjustly brought to prison without his yeah. permission well we were unjustly brought to COVID without our permission, right? All of a sudden we woke up and there was this, like the world just changed. It changed for Andy Dufresne, right? Everything was great. He was a successful banker. We all had lives that were phenomenal, you know, but this is why we have peaks and this is why we have valleys. And all of a sudden we've been in this prison, just like Andy Dufresne for the last two and a half years. Some of us literally in the house, can't leave, can't be with loved ones, so on and so forth. And I often say that you know, again, take the reality that you have and try to make the best you can of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of similarities in regards to the last two years. Um, get busy living, get busy dying. You know, I had clients that, you know, were calling me just freaking out about as we all were, you know, like, what is this? This is, this is, this is a once in a lifetime kind of situation. And I said, okay, well, here's the deal. Right. Um, you've got two, you know, two choices. And basically it was get busy living or get busy dying. And I used the concept of time. You know people who had lost their jobs i said okay you've been like yelling at me and frustrated and you know saying well i don't have time to do this and i'd like to get this i said you do now you do now i got 196 projects done in my house a hundred and i consciously put them together because i had all this time i'm like no i'm not sitting here lamenting and screaming and yelling and who's this and who's that and you're and pointing the finger i said nope this for, for most of us, and a lot of us didn't uh, really embrace it, we've been wishing this forever. My one friend called me. He said, <laughs> it had been about six months in COVID, and we we're all you know, quarantined. And he's been married for a little over 17 years. And he knows I'm a life coach. And he calls. He said, I have a question to ask you. I said, what's that? He said, you know, I've been married for 17 years. I said, yeah. I said, you have a lovely wife. He goes, uh, I just met her for the first time. I said, what do you mean? He said, I've been in this house with her for six months. I don't even recognize who it is I'm married to. And most of us did, right? When you're forced in that situation where you've got to be around somebody 24 seven, I can't begin to tell you the number of clients I had and friends and people that were like, oh my gosh, that's who my wife is. That's who my girlfriend is. That's who my husband is. Yeah, that's who they are. Right, that's the twenty four seven. So you know, there's just a lot of great lessons. Probably my favorite, and I know you have the poster. Um, <laughs> there's a poster for Shawshank, the original one, and my favorite saying is the caption. I think it's the reason why it's become such a popular movie. But the, the the mantra I would say for Shawshank is: Fear can hold you prisoner, hope can set you free. Right? We've been in so much fear the last five to ten years. It's ridiculous right and so many of us have lost yes there it is and you know i have that poster on my wall and for 10 years and do you think i ever read the top of that just to know well it wasn't until i got the second poster on the 10th anniversary when i put it next to it i went oh my gosh, this is why this film is so popular. Yeah, think about your fears, you know, to all your audience members. You know, one of the exercises I have my clients do is write down the uh, 10 of your fears, right? And then circle the top three. What are the top three? You know, we call circle the frog. And, uh,
1: circle
2: we, the frog? <laughs> yeah, oh, you haven't done circle the frog? Oh, no. yeah, circle the frog, circle the frog. So circle the frog, is a it's a great... Um, kind of an organizational tool, but like for those of you who have the to-do list and all that. So each day you make your to-do list, right? So you can be five, six, seven, eight, nine things. Then what you do is you go through that list, find the one that you absolutely stress out about the most that you don't want to do maybe it's I've got to do an excel spreadsheet for me I lose my mind because I don't know Excel. (laughs) I don't understand it I don't guys like right I don't I just my brain doesn't work I'm like excel and the in the in the columns and I'm like it freaks me out but I got to do it in order to do billing that's the frog for me the frog is what you don't want to pick up so you mm-hmm. circle that and you do that first in the morning. And what happens is that when you do that first, you let go of all the anxiety and all the energy that what you don't want to do and the things that you have to get done that you want to do get done so much better, because if you wait to the very end for circling the frog, then all the negativity to go through the good things you know, is spewed from the frog and then. Most of the time, you don't even get to the frog. And then what you do is you take the frog and you put it on the next day's list. And the next day, no, circle the frog every day. And that's the top. That's the first thing you do. And then there's this freedom like, oh, I got Excel spreadsheet done. ah, Yay. There's a victory to, to it. So, yeah, absolutely. And that's, again, circle the frog. Face your fears. What a! You cannot bring hope into your life until you're able to acknowledge the fears, right? We face our fears. We create the necessary action steps to overcome them. Um, look, it, life is unfair. I get it. I mm-hmm. really do get it. But again, it's not about the problem. It's about your relationship to it. Um, be relentless and tenacious, right? Be relentless and tenacious. I mean, I, I've been knee deep in problems. And to me, I just have to like put myself uh, pick myself up by the bootstraps and go okay it's hard I get it but you know it took Andy 20 years to get out of prison and he used a little rock hammer you know yeah. he wrote, I mean he. but he had time we all have mm-hmm. time right he wrote one letter a week you know to right. the state to try to get those library books and it and it happened so again we've got to break down our own negative wall so we can you know our own prison you know, so that we can uh, uh, live the freedom that we want. We have to be tenacious and we have to be relentless. Right, Um, those
1: people who would say, well, you know, well, it took so long and it took so long. And what they need to feed that is the hope that you just finished talking about. The hope and the faith to keep going because he he did it 20 years. Why did he keep going? Right. Because he was getting busy living and because he was feeding the hope in his heart.
2: Right, right. Look, I mean, isn't it interesting and it's all relative, right? So for example, um, people moan about getting in line for the grocery store, right? Everyone's impatient for the grocery store and dah, dah, dah. And then that person pulls out a checkbook and writes a check. Yeah, and you know, and I, I'm like, really? Really? Can't you just use a debit card? Like I do, the, I do the same, right? But we'll stand in lane for two hours to go to our favorite concert. What are you in line for? Oh, I'm getting tickets for Rolling Stone's final tour. And you're as patient, as patient as you can be. You have no problems in Yeah. It's the hope. It's the hope that I'm going to see the Rolling Stones final tour. But we can't. You just have to transition that into the same thing when it comes to all the different lines. But it, it's the same amount. It's the same concept. I have to wait in line. But it's just yeah. a. It's just a, it's a mental like mindset. Thing. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, another one. Your greatest strength is inside of you. So no matter where no matter where you're at or what people say to you, stay true to your own core values. That's the thing that Andy Dufresne did, right? Um, he lost his freedom. He was sexually abused in prison, physically, mentally. Um, but the core values that he had going into there uh, is what kept him alive. You know, I've I've worked with a lot of Holocaust survivors, and the vast majority of them, you know, the gentleman that wrote Night, you know, he said, you know, they could take everything away from me, but the memories of my life, the memories of the people I love, the memories of my past, they cannot take those away from me. And that is the hope that we Uh talk about, right? In the middle of being in the Holocaust, and that fear, there are things that people can't. There's a really great scene. I just forgot about this in Shawshank, where you know he gets thrown into solitary confinement in the hole they called about it, and you mm-hmm. had to do X amount of days. And they said, "Oh my God, what was the life?" He said, "Oh, it was fine." He said, "Why?" He said, "Oh, I just I just played baseball." He said, "Oh, they let you take that phonograph downstairs because you were listening to baseball games on the, on, the, on an old phonograph." He said, "No, it's up here. Mm-hmm. I just played the games in my mind." To get me through the time. Right. right. So, absolutely. Um, owning second... how
1: he was going to respond. He was owning absolutely. how he was going right. to respond. How am
2: I going to respond? What's my reality? They yeah. say my reality is in the hole where it's all dark and I only get fed once a day and light comes in 20, uh, for an hour. Right. No, my reality is I'm playing every baseball game from the World Series. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, another one is your second greatest is your tools and your skills and your accomplishments. We all have assets. We all have abilities, right? When we poo-poo ourselves, it's like, no, know what you can do. What sets you apart from everyone else? I'm a firm believer that everybody has a skill that's different from uh, everybody else, that you do something better than anybody in the entire world. You know, Andy knew this. He had financial knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, he had this financial knowledge. He's like, look, I can, I can help out the guards. They don't have to pay taxes. I can help out, you know, Clancy Brown's character and, you know, who just, you know, got, uh, 50,000 from.
1: Um, yeah, uh, I remember a, that scene on the roof. Oh, rooftop. I was there. I was there. The rooftop.
2: I was, I literally, I was right. I was like, I wanted to be, I want to see that so bad. I climbed on the top of the roof. I got a chair. It was so hot that day. Oh my God, it was so hot. And I love Clancy Brown. He's just an amazing actor. And it was an intense scene. I mean, we ended up doing it for like 12 hours, but just oh. this. Just, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. You know there's a, there's an old adage in Hollywood. We don't sweat. We glisten, <laughs> uh, but we're not, we, we work, you know, I mean, I think the shortest day I had was 12 hours. The longest day I had was 21. Wow. And then you start up the next day, six day work weeks. You know, we only had Sundays off. So yeah, absolutely. What are your assets? What is it that you can bring to the table? Um, I love this one. And Andy got this good friends and relationships support you both during the good times and the bad times. Right. Yeah. You can't do this alone. Right. Um,
1: you, well, like I, you said, when, when you were going through it and your friends going through it, it reveals who your friends are. It's the same oh, thing with, with COVID. It has yeah. been revealing to people who they are, you know, well, when you find out who they really are this last right. two years. You're fine. Same thing with money money it doesn't change people it reveals who they are
2: right absolutely yeah
1: we have gone through that it's like that's
2: awesome yeah absolutely it's um you know the character of people are tested our character as a human beings is tested every day right and then when we have relationships with other people it's tested yet again right and i'm saying to you you know look at look There's this great concept called the chameleon effect, right? I used to do life coaching in prisons and I love it. It's one of the best jobs I have in my entire life. Um, My youngest inmate was 18. My oldest was 88 and he'd been in for 62 years. Choices. And i remember my first day and i had like oh i don't know like 76 people inside my room and it was it was a little 76 daunting. people yeah oh yeah i remember it, it's at Pritchett detention center in southern california and my headhunter called said hey we've got this perfect job for you they need somebody the person quit i was like yeah sure what is it and it's teaching uh life skills to men in prison well i had done shawshank and so i had a lot of research and uh such and so i said like, yeah sure but you know when you go through the front door and then you're frisked and then you go through security then through you go through another steel door then you walk down the hall then you go through another steel door then you get to the guard that's going to help you then you go through your classroom and it was this huge auditorium and i'll never forget because it was massive. i already
1: feel the anxiety with oh you just i was like
2: i was like okay i can do this i can do this all right and so i my the lectern was up here and i said well, how many students do i have he said well this week because it changes between 70 and 80. and i was like oh i said, Okay. And I said, um, and it was a three-hour class. I said, where, where will you be? He said, oh, in my office down the hall. I said, you're your going to be in a room with
1: 80 inmates.
2: Right. I said, <laughs> Hello. What, what, what do I do if something happens? He said, see that panic button on the wall over there? I said, yeah, he goes, push that. <laughs> they would have slipped my throat before I even got to the button. There's no way. No, I was by myself. I was completely by myself. Wow. And I, so they came in, sat down and I thought, okay, I gotta, I gotta get their trust. Somehow. I, I, having done Shawshank, I realized that I had to create some kind of relationship with them. Right. To our mm-hmm. point. So I looked at everybody and I said, Hey, welcome. My name is Brent Scarple. I just got a quick question before we start. I know I'm a brand new teacher. How many of you want to be a millionaire? What about? what do you mean you talk about a millionaire? Well, how do we be a millionaire? We're in prison. Blah, blah, blah. I said, no, I'm serious. Raise your hand. How many people love to be a millionaire? I'm going to teach you how to be a millionaire right now. It'll take us two minutes. So maybe a fourth of them raise their hand. I, I said, okay, for those of you who raised your hand, congratulations. For those of you who didn't, ask yourself right now, what is it that, about myself that I don't think I'm worthy of a million dollars and I can't even raise my hand? Let's move on. And I said, close your eyes. And I did a, medita- a meditation with them, right? I meditate mm-hmm. every morning. And I said, um, and I basically took them back about two weeks before they were incarcerated. I said, think about your environment, who you're hanging out with, who's your homies, how are you making money, is it legal, is it not illegal? Uh, you know, how many children do you have? Are you, you know, what you're, all that? And then think about the day where you got caught, and then being arrested, and the handcuffs, and so on and so forth. And I. Um, I said, okay, now open your eyes. And I said, look around. And I said, now you know why you're here. You are a product of your environment. I said, here's the simple answer. If you want to be a millionaire, hang out with millionaires. You want to be a drug addict, hang out with drug addicts. If you want to be a cheerleader, hang out with cheerleaders. If you want to be a salesman, hang out with salesmen. If you do this long enough, you will become them just like the chameleon. The chameleon walks through the planet and adapts its environment. Whatever environment you find yourself, you will become that. That's why you're here. And that was the hook. I, I had the respect. Well, two weeks turned into nine months. And so- wow. Yeah, it was just incredible, you know. And it's it's just a, for everybody that's out there. Look at your life and go. Well, I just don't like my. Well, who are the people in your life? Who do you hang out with? What's your job, right? And you are those people. You are your environment. So if you want to change, then find those people. And then you know, it got a little technical. They raised, then they raised their hand. Well, how do we get a hold of millionaires? I said, when you get out of here, email. I've emailed tons of millionaires. Hey, my name is Brent purple blah blah blah. I'm a huge fan. I'm whatever. They'll answer you back. Maybe not every one of them, but in this world of technology, you can get a hold of anybody, right? Uh, and, and share, well, number seven, share the value of who you are with others, right? You know, if you want to create a better you, share the most valuable parts of who you are with them, right? I just had a client yesterday, we were talking about this. We were talking about the concept of special, right? Of what? The idea of special, S-P-E-C-I-A-R. What is special? And he was going through a couple of things because his whole life he was told he was special, right? And that's kind of messed him up a little bit. And so I said, well, let me give you my definition of special. Special is not who you are. Special is what you do with what you have. Uh, Special is what you do with who you are that's what it's special is not who you are it's what you do with who you are i've always wanted to say i i it's never happened but i want to be on a talk show i want like someone like this like this interview and i want to do something (laughs) really amazing and say oh do you consider yourself a hero because most people say what if they did something heroic you say, oh do you consider yourself your hero most people will respond how no no you know how i'm going to respond Heck yeah, I'm a hero. Of course I'm a hero. But let me give you my definition of a hero. A hero is not what they do, is is not who they are. It's what they do, right? Special is about the actions. That's why Mm -hmm. the value of who you are when that's shared with other people, it's not about you. It's the concept of you taking what is the biggest asset and allowing yourself to be able to share that, those random acts of kindness. you're part. a
1: hero to someone when you do stuff like that. Then you're right. a hero Absolutely. for them.
2: Absolutely, a hero doesn't
1: mean you have to save someone from a burning building. That is, not that can all. be heroic. But when you do something for someone and they're just like, ah, and they're just so excited, and you just bless them so much, and you change, they're like, you have played the role of a hero.
2: Absolutely, I agree. And again, and typically, it's not who you are. It's not the. It's not because I'm Brent. It's because Brent <laughs> did ABCD right mm-hmm. you know i took action steps um well uh, so number 8 opportunities can be seen everywhere uh you just have to look and you have to listen you know um if you can live in the present moment i know it's difficult and there's you know well that's what covid did right i i, I mean i had friends of mine you know I had another friend called and he said oh my gosh i'm going crazy and da da da, da my husband and my kids and la, la 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 i said wait a minute i said is this the same woman who six months ago spent five thousand dollars on a retreat for three days to get to know yourself? She said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, guess what? You're doing it for free now, <laughs> and it's more than three days."
0: Mm-hmm. And she
2: sat back. She said, "Oh my God, you're absolutely right." I said, "Yeah, this is the this is one of the biggest social experiments that the planet has ever had." Right?
1: It's like, what are you going to do with it? One of the things that. We witnessed in our subdivision during the uh, lockdown was we had an epidemic of tree houses. <laughs> Everyone was building a tree house. Yeah. And it was a great thing because there was something for the kids to do. But it's like when people apply themselves to what can I do with this time? What can I do with my energy? What, right. what is in my hand?
2: Right. And they were probably and they were probably baking sourdough bread in the treehouse, too, uh, because that was happening as well. Yeah. Look for opportunities. Um, One of the to your point, one of the greatest scenes. Oh, my gosh. And this is um, this ties into number nine, practicing random acts of kindness. So they do the um, roof. They tar it, you know, Mm -hmm. and he almost gets thrown off. He said, no, "No, no, I can help you. You don't have to pay taxes on that on your wife's uh, inheritance." And so he found that opportunity, but the opportunity yeah. wasn't for him because then you go to that scene, and it was such that we had to wait till the sun went down. And he said, "He said I can do it. All I ask is two beers apiece for my colleagues." Can you imagine having the the gumption? You know, you're in prison, right? Yeah. And to ask. You know this guy who's you know not the nicest guy in the world that i'll do this for you but there's a price to pay right he found that opportunity practice a random act of kindness and there's that great scene where they're drinking beer and the yeah. best part of it is the one guy comes over to andy because he's sitting opposite of them as the mm-hmm. sun sets he goes hey would you like a beer and then he goes no i, I stopped drinking it wasn't about him right. right so much i think of what's happened in the last five to 10 years for multiple reasons thats that we've made it about ourselves, right? We're not taking into consideration other people. It's a me, 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 me world. And as much as I believe in that, yeah, you've got to take care of yourself first so that you can take care of others. Right,
1: exactly. You can't pour from an empty cup and you can't give produce from an empty garden. You have to take care of that for the reason of... Loving others, you gotta love yourself so you can love others.
2: Yeah, and then I've seen also, and especially with some of my clients, you know, that, that we've seen this in the last 10 years, that whole concept of privilege. Well, I'm not doing it, you're gonna do it for me. Why? Because I deserve it. Well, no, you create your reality, <laughs> right? I, 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 I'm gonna create my reality over here, you create your reality over there. And if we meet and I, we can help each other, that's all well and good. And that's something that we've had to address. Um, last one is in life, you have to take risks, right? Mm -hmm. You just have to take risks. Um, playing it safe just doesn't work. It never has. I think that's a lot of what is happened, um, in COVID as well. I had a good friend of mine in the beginning of COVID poor thing. She just, uh, I'll never forget the call. She called me just in tears. And, uh, she said, you know, the three jobs I have, I said, yeah. And she, you know, single mom, two kids, uh, she was the cocktail waitress uh, at a bar at night. Uh, she was a waitress during the day at a restaurant. And then she also did their accounting. Got fired for all three jobs in 72 hours. Wow. Restaurant, All business. three. All gone. Gone. And I said, okay. I said, so here's what's happened. Right. And I try to explain this, uh, you know, to, to my clients as well. Is that, you know, in the universe, what happens is, here, I'm going to use my, and I can take a sip too because I'm going through. <laughs> right. Yes, okay. You- so here's the glass, right? Here's that real abusive relationship. Here's that job that you can't stand. Here's the house that or the neighborhood you don't want to be in, right? But rather than do something about it, you just complain about it, or I'll just do it, whatever. So what happens is then the universe says, well, you know what? Uh, you're kind of complaining about it. So this is my plan because uh, you've been complaining about it pretty much every day for the last mm, 15 years. So we have <laughs> this thing called COVID. And we're going to create the space necessary <laughs> so that the new opportunity will come in. Since you weren't willing to take the risk, I'm going to force you into the risk. Because science says, physics says, you cannot put something in a somewhere if it's already occupied. Mm-hmm. So many people refuse to get you know out of that relationship, out of that house, out of that job. And so they'll complain about it and complain about it. And then... They're working with the universe, God, Buddha, whomever. And he said, well, okay, my wish is your command. And then they go, (laughs) what happened? You know, my sister, she complained about her job for years, years. Finally, they got sick of it and they fired her. She called me freaking out. I said, be afraid of what you prayed for. Now do something about it. Right? She opened her own successful business. She did everything that she wished she could, but she feared. And so mm-hmm. face those fears and that goes her.
1: back to circle in the frog
2: <laughs> i'm telling you you got to take those risks you got to take those risks you got to take those risks
1: yeah i have courage that's why you surround yourself with the people you want to be like because they will encourage right. you to take those risks and to do what you dream so
0: yeah. yeah
2: absolutely and they give you the tools to do it because for the most part and this is why i tell people what if you want to become just hang out with those people you know, all my, I have a lot of seniors in high school and college students that I life coach and I adore them. Millennials are my they are my passion. And <laughs> uh, when they're in college, I make them, if I'm working with them, they have to do as many internships as possible, you know? And then my seniors in high school, they have to shadow uh, at least once a week for as many weeks as they possibly can, uh, a business that they think they may want to have as a career. Um, as part of my exercises, uh, just so you're in the reality of what it is. It's one thing to watch L.A. Law and say, "Oh, I want to be a lawyer." Or yeah, <laughs> right. And it's another whole different thing. I had a, I had a, I had a college student. You know, she was pre-law, and I said, "Okay, let's 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 get an internship." She was a sophomore. Oh my gosh, she's like, "I hate the law." Oh my god, this is horrible. Like this is so boring. I was like.
1: Isn't it good that she found out that way? Instead
2: Absolutely. Oh wow, yeah. 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 Totally. So a lot of a lot of great things.
1: Well, um, so let's just stop here and just pause for the audience to say, hey, if you're thinking about doing something, because you watched it on TV or inspired by something, find a way to intern or to view it or visualize it or get a taste of it before you throw yourself all in and verify. Verify. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Look, you can, as simple as this, even if you can't intern, I would say call, just go through the white pages, call, call an attorney, call. Hey, my name is, I'm a senior in high school. You know, can I set up an appointment to speak to you about 20 minutes of what it means to be a a career as a district attorney. They will love you. There's nothing human beings want to do more than talk about themselves, right? (laughs) I'm telling you, I've never had a client say, oh, they said, no, we can't. They're absolutely, oh, yeah, what time? Would you like to come to the office? We'd like. well, how about if I take you out to lunch? All those scenarios have happened to my clients.
1: That's awesome.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you've got to take look, you got to go, go above and beyond. And again, those, those are the 10 lessons that I learned from Shawshank. I think the biggest- Can you one... list them
1: just in a row now that we've yeah, talked about absolutely. Them, just
2: to review for, for our people? So number one, get busy living or get busy dying, right? Uh, mm-hmm. In the dying part, yeah, you got to talk about it, but we talk about it so we can get busy living. Two, fear can hold you prisoner, hope can set you free. Face those fears so the hope will uh, show up be relentless and tenacious right the minute you you know the minute you feel depressed the minute you feel like oh i can't do it that's when you got to grab yourself by the bootstraps four your greatest strength is inside you what are your assets five your second greatest is your tools your skills your accomplishments what you bring to this planet Six, good friends and relationships support you both during the good times and the bad times. So I always say to my clients, just have that one friend, that one person that will love you unconditionally. You don't have to have 5,000 Facebook friends. And oh, by the way, (laughs) they're not your friends. I'm just going to straight up, I'm going to tell you. Seven, share the value of who you are with others, right? Mm -hmm. That ties into practice random acts of kindness, right? Next, opportunities can be seen everywhere. You just have to look and listen. When we're doing this all the time, you cannot see opportunities, right? When you're. And for those
1: on the podcast, he's holding his phone up.
2: Yes, I'm holding my phone (laughs) up. I'm holding my phone up. If you're, if we're so disconnected, right? Um, and it's sad. I mean, I, I saw this one YouTube video one time and it was a girl walking across a, a little park or so. And she was, you know, doing the thing with her video and her and camera and she had the earbuds fell right into the pond, walked yeah. right into the pond. I was like, Oh my God so disconnected. And when you're disconnected like that, then you cannot see the opportunities that are right there for you. The universe is trying to slap you upside the head saying it's here. It's here. And lastly, in life, you must take risks. You must take risks. You cannot play it safe. I do an exercise with all my clients. Uh, Once a week, at the end of the week, they have to do something in fear. They have to do something in fear. And what does that mean? That means figure out what it is that you're most fearful about that week, do it. And at the end of the week, let me know what happened.
1: (laughs) That's good. That's good. Well, this has been so awesome, Brent. Thank you so much. We have shared a wealth of information with people. How can people connect with you online? How how can people reach out
2: to you? Well, you know, we love Victoria's Souls. We love you. And I'm so grateful for being here. So, um, you know, my website is BrentScarpo.com. So B-R-E-N-T-S-C-A-R-P-O.com. And, you know, I'm an intuitive life coach. Uh, As I shared with you, I was on the Today Show in 2010. I have these innate abilities. So I'd like to offer all your listeners... Um, a complimentary strategic intuitive reading. Um, you know, as long as I'm alive, it doesn't matter because I know these <laughs> stay on forever. Uh, if you just text Victorious Souls, right? Or Souls or Victorious, whatever you want, just text it to 760-835-3327. Again, Victorious Souls will be great because then I know exactly where it is that you heard me. Uh, I will go ahead and we'll do a 45 minute to 60 minute. Complimentary. It'll blow your mind. I'm about 86% correct every time uh, reading, and you'll have uh, tools at the end of that 45 minutes to actually take with you and make a difference in your life. So, again, just text Victoria Souls to 760 835 3327.
1: Okay. Well, thank you again for being with us today, Brent. Yes,
2: absolutely. You. You're, you're a joy. You're a pleasure. I so adore you. We've had so many conversations up to this moment in time. So I'm just grateful. Uh, I'll leave you one last bit of wisdom, uh, to, for, for your audience. Uh, I was asked this a couple of days ago, what, what wisdom can I share? And I'm, I it just kind of hit me and I'm, i at my, uh, my grandmother's and she, uh, Unfortunately, she passed away from COVID on Valentine's Day, and we're, we're just addressing the issues that we have so to address with. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of different things. So um, this comes from Edna Smith. She's an adopted grandmother. I actually rented her home in Mansfield, Ohio, when I was shooting Shawshank Redemption. So we'll pull it all together. So she looked at me one day, and she, um, she said, Brent, how can, uh, what's the best thing a man, a father, can do for his children? right? So for all you men out there, listen. And I said, oh, that's a great question. I said, well, you know, take care of the children, provide for them, bring them food, um, get them an education. She said, oh, those are really good answers. And she said, you know what, I think the best thing a man can do for their children. I said, what's that? Show them how to love their mother.
0: I've heard that before. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, how brilliant is that? That we as children actually define how we love based on the people that are around us. And so Mm -hmm. when she said that, yeah, that is one of the best things that you can do as men. We, the best thing we do for our children is to show them how to love their mother. So with that, thank you so much for allowing me to be here.
1: Oh, thank you. Ah, thank you. Wasn't that just wonderful? She hearing all that from Brent and... All those 10 things that you can learn from Shawshank that you can apply to your life so that you can improve your life now in this COVID, post-COVID. I'm going to call it post-COVID. I know it's still out there, but maybe I'm going to just speak it out there. Post-COVID, it has to end sooner or later. and We are going into a new normal. And so for you to grab a hold of these 10 things, apply them to your life. And, and thank you for, for being with us today. And until next time... I'm that lady on the internet who loves you, and I love you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Victoria Souls Podcast. You matter, and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further, so please visit us at danielleburnock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life. No one can do it for you.